You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Broken records, the albums you wouldn't shut up about. Broken records, the music our guests can't live without. Like Judy, Barbara, Liza, Bet, Betty, Audra, Bernadette. We broadcast this podcast with hopes that someday we might get Patty Welcome to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records. I am the aforementioned Ben Rimmelauer, and I am remotely podcasting with my lovely co-host, Daniel Nolan. Hey, y'all. Happy um, Saturday, Monday. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Whatever day it is when you're listening to this. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, Today, we are happy to be discussing another Sondheim concert um, after our um, beloved Sondheim 90th birthday celebration that we talked about last week, which you can find and which I'm sure you loved as well. This week, we are talking about Sondheim at a celebration at Carnegie Hall. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, And what a celebration it has been just across the interwebs this week of uh, Stephen Sondheim and his music and all of the uh, lovely performers who came to interpret his music this past uh, week. Have you ever heard uh, the bootleg tapes of Elaine Stritch's Sondheim show that she did at the Carlisle? Um, I think I've heard them from you, yes. Elaine Stritch singing Sondheim Sondheim one song at a time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I did not see it in its heyday. I saw her second engagement when she really couldn't remember any words and it was like a little, little fucked up. Um, (laughs) And I think had a lot to do with her deciding to like move to Michigan. Yeah. Um, Move to Michigan sounds like a euphemism. Right. (laughs) Now she she moved to Michigan. Now she's Um, really moved to Michigan. But I have the, I have the record, I have a a recording of the first time around and I love it so much. Oh, it's the one we always talk about when I say how much I love her son in the clowns. Um, Yes. Yeah. One of my favorites. I, I always think about it when I say, when I say Stephen Sondheim, because there's a way that she says his name on that tape where she's like, she's like, Sondheim. Yeah, like she, yeah, yeah. She doesn't quite say all the letters. Sondheim. Yeah. Sing yeah. Sondheim. One song at a time. Why yeah. not? That's totally what I was doing. And she even says, like, it's almost like a U sound. It's like Sun Sunheim. Stephen Sunheim. Sunheim. It's almost as good as her calling Alec Baldwin Alex on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, here's the thing, Alex. When, when we a... eventually have um, Scott Ellis on the pod to talk about my favorite Broadway, The Leading Ladies. Yes. Um, obviously, despite his like Tony Awards and career, it, that's obviously his main career accomplishment is my favorite Broadway, <laughs> The Leading Ladies. Yeah. Um, we also need to talk about him, talk to him about his other main career accomplishment, which is Sondheim, the celebration at Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And one of the questions I have is like, why wasn't Elaine or Angela or Barbara Cook involved? Mm, right. Why wasn't Mandy Patinkin involved? Right. I mean, Although I do seem to remember, um, I, I we should have asked Betty this story, but I 
didn't get the chance. But um, I, uh, I'm, I believe I heard somewhere that Betty Buckley, who of course sings "Children Will Listen" so memorably, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was not originally supposed to be part of it, and that she was a last-minute substitute for somebody else. And I want to say that <laughs> that was Mandy Patinkin. That was Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Yes, I can. <sighs> Where Betty's like, "Careful that tale you tell." Be like, careful the tell you tell. Just like Martini sloshing on those kids. Just angrier and angrier. <laughs> you can sort of imagine Mandy doing it too. Um, yeah, that's. It is strange though to imagine like um, of all the things that they had to like last minute substitute, like one that involved the entire entire Harlem Boys Choir. Yeah, like, totally. It would have been so easy to just like take out Patty or Bernadette and plug somebody else in. Like it was just like, you know, by themselves. But right. like it was a lot of rehearsal to get two different songs mashed up like that with the boys and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. But Betty's um, a pro. Yeah, and it ended up being one of the best moments of the show. One of the best. Um, okay, so I, should we get into it? Uh, yes. Well, I'll, I just want to say that I remember so well when this concert happened. Because mm-hmm. uh, there was a, um, well, I don't remember when it happened in 1992, and I actually don't remember, but it was on TV in 1993. And I remember um, before it aired, there was a um, review of it in Newsweek. Newsweek or Time? One of those. We, went, mm. we had those magazines in my house growing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was rare that there was anything Broadway related in them. Um, so I was very excited to see it, and um, the review for the concert was very good, but it was not a good review for Patti LuPone. Mm. Um, what they said was, um, she sings Being Alive, but it should have been called Being Allowed. Oh. <laughs> but I just remember Shit. thinking, like, that sounds like my kind of performance, you know? Right, right. Um, <laughs> and she did not disappoint. Um, and then I think... I think even before it actually aired, the double CD was released. And I remember getting it and just Mm. being so obsessed. And then being disappointed when so many things from the album were not on the video. Um, Mm. But but the main, most important things were there. Yeah. What are some other of the uh, highlights that aren't on the video? Uh... Well, uh, Billy Stritch singing Anyone Can Whistle is not on the video. Mm-hmm. Um, Betty, the, like, you know, performance art, jazz, lesbian song troupe. I don't know what to call them. Um, <laughs> they do I Never Do Anything Twice, but that's not on the video. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Liza singing Water Under the Bridge is not on the video. Mm, interesting. And, um, oh, there's a bunch, like, a lot of those guy songs, like, what is it, uh, Love, is it Jerry Hadley singing Love I Hear from Forum? Oh, I love that and song. James Naughton singing Live Alone and Like It, mm. and, um, uh, I'm forgetting, but there, there's a bunch that's not on the video. Yeah. Um, and it's worth listening to the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, but uh, well, I have to say, starting the video, uh, something that grabbed me right away because you know I've been working this job um, as a caretaker for this man with mild dementia, yes. and um, I, I'm actually home now. But his apartment is on 56th between sixth and seventh. 
Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I have spent the last, uh, you know, six weeks of this quarantine life that I've been staying there. I would go out every day for my walks, or honestly, even if I just went to the pharmacy or the supermarket, because he's mm-hmm. right there, I would walk by this eerie, ghostly, deserted Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. Walking up the entire block of 7th Avenue from 56th to 57th, and walking down 57th Street from 7th Avenue to 6th Avenue, it's a huge building. And I would walk by the deserted ghostly Carnegie Hall. And so it was so crazy to put this video on, which I've I've watched this video a hundred times, you know, I know it so well. And yet it was like seeing it for the first time to hear that like scary Sweeney Todd uh, that starts from that thrilling Sweet from Sweeney Todd. And it's, it's this beautiful camera work of Carnegie Hall from the outside with this mm-hmm. like dim lighting looking very eerie and ghost-like to match the music. And it's yes. so weird because it really felt like my reality, like watching this video last week. Totally. Oh, it's so funny. But it is a thrilling piece of music. And honestly, I think when I was a kid listening to it, I didn't appreciate it as much because I didn't know Sweeney Todd that well. Mm. Um So to me, it was sort of like, who cares about that song, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm just like, so I'm so into Sweeney Todd and I know the score so well and I worked on it and like seen so many productions and videos. And so I I just love hearing it played so thrillingly by that huge orchestra conducted Mm -hmm. by, once again, our guy, the one and only Paul Gemignani. That's right, honey. Maybe um, at his most Paul Gemignani-esque ever. Totally, totally. <laughs> Just giving it to you. Every giving it to you. Um, so it uh, starts out with the Sweeney thing, and then Jerry Hadley comes on, opening up the show with Joanna, and then Eugene singing Pretty Women. I feel like you guys women. today, you kids might not understand like exactly like what Jerry Hadley was like back in the nineties. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Cause he was some opera star. Like, obviously I don't know him except as like this random opera star, but for some reason he had like major crossover success, which is hard when you look at it now with his like nineties, like um, mullet and stuff, you know? Right. Right. And he's not particularly attractive. I mean, he looks like he should be like, like working in the kitchen at an Italian restaurant or something, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but he was for some reason like so huge, like, like he, I, like there was like, did, did the words like BMG and like Columbia House, like record club mean anything to you? Uh, no, I mean, I know what those, I've heard of those, uh, terms, but I don't know what they are. There were these things that you would see these ads, like in all these magazines and like, like everywhere you looked, they were advertising and it was like, sign up now. And get 10 CDs for one cent. And then there was like a monthly thing where they'd send you two CDs and you had a chance to um, accept the CDs they were going to send you or to choose different ones from their catalog. But those CDs that they'd be sending you then in the regular commitment 
were charged at a high retail price. Like instead oh. of the like eleven ninety nine you'd spend at your local store, they were like seventeen ninety nine or something, mm, you know. Mm, mm. And it was kind of a scam, and people were always getting tripped up. Somehow, I always managed to just like run away with the fork and the spoon on this. I seem to just always <laughs> get the free CDs and never send them a dime. And my it's parents would be brand. like, this is going to affect your credit. And I would just never pay. And like for all the bad shit that happened to my credit, I don't think <laughs> I've ever seen that on one of my credit reports. Uh, jokes um, on them. But it was actually kind of annoying because you'd be, whether you were a normal person trying to like make the most of your like 10 CDs for an, a cent or whether you were like me just taking the record company for a ride for months on end, you would still have to look through their catalog and like choose. And for some reason there was always an endless supply of these, like Jerry Hadley sings Broadway, Jerry Hadley sings like pop favorites, all these Jerry Hadley albums. So I had the whole collection and I never liked it. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but he was BMG, which is like what this, uh, who produced the like, um, Sondheim at Carnegie Hall uh, album and video and everything. Um, so it's so weird because I forgot that he existed. But watching this, I was very much like, whoa. It was like seeing an X, you know? <laughs> yeah. What does BMG stand for? I don't know. It was like a record company, like RCA, BMG, I think were mm. one company. Uh, and then mm. they did produce a lot of Broadway stuff, including Patti LuPone Live, Girlfriend's first album that came out the same year. That's um, right. But uh, but anyway, he is great singing Joanna. I mean, you know, it's yeah. an easy song for an opera singer, for a tenor to sing. And then you get the Barack Obama twins doing uh, Pretty Women so beautifully. Um, yeah, and I have to say, uh, Joanna and, and Pretty Women, I love both of these songs so much. And I really realized about myself in the past, you know, especially in the past week or so, I love the romantic Sondheim songs you know yeah. i mean there is you know there there's the comedic ones and there's the the patter songs and he's just such a genius across all different uh you know uh, sub uh, genres types of of songs but the romantic ones are the ones that truly reach down and, and grab my little heart and and these two are have always been favorites um, it's funny because like i think like for years like up until passion Sondheim really only gave the romantic songs to the dummies. Mm, mm. Like, um, you know, in like a funny thing happened in the way to the forum, like hero, like sings love. I hear that. He love sings I hear, here. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it, it was always for the sort of like nitwits and mm. like, you know, even Anthony and Joanna, they're not really the like leads of Sweeney Todd. I mean, right. You know, they're, it, it, they're the romantic characters, but they're much more akin to, like, if you go and stock types of musical theater, they're more like an Ado Annie and a Will Parker than, yeah. like, a Laurie and a Curly, you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I will say, I mean, I just think Joanna is the most beautiful song, and I always go back to it as just, um, when I did my son, top 10 Sondheim songs for Playbill, I proudly put... Joanna, very high up because I, I. Oh, that's good. What could be more gorgeous? And you just, especially with a big orchestra, when you hear that, like, dun, 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 that's. I'm so bad at singing those things, but um, <laughs> I took this quiz online this week of like, do you have perfect pitch? Oh, and my pitch is so bad; it's only better than five percent of the populations. <laughs> 
<laughs> Deaf people. <laughs> Seriously. Um, um, anyway, um, so, but yeah, it's so beautiful. And and Pretty Women, I definitely, like, am still on the high of Pretty Women that you and I were on when we watched my uh, the Showstoppers, The Best of Broadway. Yes, yes. Yes. And these twin brothers, Herbert and Eugene Perry, in addition to being really hot and both looking like Barack Obama, I mm. thought that they really um they really delivered uh a beautiful version of Pretty Women. Yes, totally, totally. Um I loved it. And then after this, I wrote down Sweeney Overture, is that right? <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, well, because well there is no Sweeney Overture, but this Sweeney Todd suite that opens it, mm. it's very long. And it, it includes their songs. So it's like, first you hear like the ballad of Sweeney Todd played by the orchestra in this very dramatic, full, symphonic way. Then Jerry Hadley comes out and sings Joanna, no applause break. The Perry brothers sing Pretty Women, no applause break. The three of them sing it together. And then it goes back into the ballad of Sweeney Todd for a huge symphonic finish for a great big show-stopping uh, ovation before right. we get on with the concert proper. And that's another mm. thing you have to give to Scott Ellis that like, it's such a brilliant and so Sondheimian way to open this show. It's mm. like, like, I feel like if I were like, okay, I've got this cast, Dorothy Loudon, Liza Minnelli, Patti LuPone, and I'm going to do this, you know, Sondheim concert at Carnegie Hall. I guess I want to open with Liza doing, you know, like, mm-hmm, I would just mm-hmm. think in terms of that. And the fact is they found something that was so dark and so beautiful and so deep. Yeah. Befitting Stephen Sondheim. And yet also is so show-stoppingly theatrical and goosebump-inducing. I mean, you it's so thrilling. I mean, even though it's not something show-busy and razzmatazz, it really is a showstopper, and it really kicks the concert off on such a high level. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, they talk about Sondheim. He, he, some of his shows are so mature and adult, you know, and I feel like that kind of setting the tone for the concert in that way was so mm. nice to see, you know, totally. we're not being talked down to. No, no, you know that you are at a piece of art yes. and you know that you are at something classy. I mean, classy. actually it's everything that that showstoppers, the best of Broadway. Is. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's so classy. It's so artful and it's so eventful. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. You just feel like you're like on cocaine, like doing triple backflips at the Met Gala in a mm. tuxedo with the Obamas. It's like, <laughs> it's the Oscars. It's like, it's everything. You just feel like nothing going on in the entire universe, including parallel universes, could possibly be more important. You sure have the Obamas on the brain today. Yeah, I do. I sure do. Um, okay, so then we have Bill Irwin coming on, giving his, like, fake Angela Lansbury intro. So brilliant. Just committing to the bit where he, in which he comes back and does several more times, um, in his little comedic way, which is great. And then... I, he did a show on Broadway, him and, um, his, uh, like, comedy slash performance art slash mime partner, um, David Shiner... Uh-huh. They did a show on Broadway around this time called Fool Moon. Fool? And Fool. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, 
And it was a big success. I saw it when they toured to L.A. Mm. And then they did a couple more things like that over the years. And Bill Irwin's gone on to have a pretty successful career, including Mm. he was, um, what's his name, opposite Kathleen Turner in... um, Oh, who's afraid of Wolf? Wolf. Yeah. But I mean, he's done many, many things in film and television. But I really feel like the beautiful showing that he made here mm. absolutely was like a huge career step for him. Mm. I have to think this put him on the map in a national way, in a big sense. I mean, he's so funny and it's so creative. And I mean, I was uh, 16 years old watching this and I didn't know who the fuck he was. I thought there was a techie coming out, you know? And when yeah. he's like, when he's like, "Good evening, my name is Angela Lansbury," like with You're his like, like uh, headset and his like weird clothes, like I just like I was going with it, but I was taking it on face value, you know. Hmm. Hmm. Um, um. Anyway, and something he said that I don't think I knew this was that uh, Sondheim wrote Mrs. Lovett for Angela. Yes, very cool, right? It's so cool. I don't think I knew that at all. Um, and I have to say, I mean, we keep talking about Sweeney, but um, the older I get, you know, the more, of course, as, as so many people said in the um, in their little intros before their songs on the 90th birthday thing, um, it takes you a while, you know, you have to get older, whatever, to understand some of these songs. And I feel like uh, Night Music and Sweeney are both, Sondheim shows that I've just recently within the past three or four years, I've really kind of settled into and I've really started to get a little more than I used to. Yeah. Well, I do think Night Music and Sweeney Todd are his most perfect musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Sweeney Todd might not be for everybody because it's very dark and yeah. a little night music might not be for some people because it's very sort of sophisticated and, in a way, the stakes are less high. I mean, yeah, you know, it's... where Into the Woods, you know, for example, has more sort of like life statements, songs yeah. that, you know, sort yeah. of like apply to our own lives. A Little Night Music is very contained. It really just feels like it applies to itself and its characters, you know. Yeah. But I think that, like, they both just are perfection. There's not one ounce of fat in either of those Totally, emotions, totally. You know? Yeah, that's right. I I keep um, talking about Sondheim writing Sweeney for Angela. Mm -hmm. I keep coming back to that because um, I keep getting these fights with people where I'm like, (laughs) yes, (laughs) Emma Thompson can't sing well enough to be Mrs. Lovett. You know, um, Imelda Staunton can't sing well enough to be Mrs. Lovett. Christine Baranski can't sing well enough to be Mrs. Lovett. Bernadette Peters, I would love to see her as Mrs. Lovett. Yes, and... But I wish she would have done it before. I'm nervous that she can't still sing well enough to be Mrs. Lovett, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw her huffing her and puffing her way from Hello, Dolly, you know? Um, <laughs> so, and people are like, what are you talking about? Mrs. Lovett is so easy to sing. You know, you just think that because Patti Lapone belted it. But, like, nobody else has ever done that, and you don't have to do that. That's not what it's meant to be, you know? And I think the reason that I need to agree to disagree with those people is because I think Angela's singing of that score is deceptively simple. 
Yeah, she makes it you know, seem easy. Yeah. Because it's like, people are like, it's so easy. She's just like, oh, Mr. Todd, I'm so happy. I could eat you up. I really could, you know. And people are like, she's just squeaking. I'm like, she's squeaking in E flat, you know. She's squeaking on pitch, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, but I've heard Sondheim talk about writing that for her. It's in, um, I forget which book, but some of the books I used to obsessively read in like junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. There's a great book by the, late great movie producer Craig Zayden uh, called Sondheim and Company that he wrote Mm -hmm. in the 70s when he was still like a Sondheim nerd. Uh, You know, when he was just a Sondheim nerd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he has a lot of quotes from Sondheim and he talks, Sondheim talks about how, I think there's some funny like pure Sondheim quote, like Angela has a decent chest voice and a serviceable head voice. (laughs) (laughs) maybe no maybe he said she has a strong chest voice and a decent head i don't know it was something that was like almost a compliment you know yeah yeah totally Um, but i think like when sondheim said that you know he really when sondheim said that you know he really um he meant it and i think he really kind of in the way that scott frankel did such a great job writing um war paint just to like you know, it's like people talk about tailoring something for somebody's voice, meaning like for their vocal range. But mm-hmm. Scott Frankel, when he wrote War Paint for Patti Lapone and Christine Ebersole, it's not just that he wrote their vocal range. He didn't just know the top and the bottom. I think he tailored it to the nooks and crannies. I think he was like, here is where the passaggio between head voice and chest voice is. So I know these kinds of notes will mean sound like this and these kind of notes will sound like this. Even more so, I think he thought, oh, the passaggio is here on an E vowel, but it's here on an U vowel and it's here on an A vowel. I mean, I really think that score for Patty and Christine, especially, especially for Patty, who sounded better in war paint than she had in 20 years. Yeah, um, totally. It really was tailor made. And I think that Sondheim did that in a sense with Angela, you know, he yeah, knew totally. her very well. She had done, um, anyone can whistle years before, but then mm-hmm. the big hit revival of gypsy in London and on Broadway. And it, I, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that explains the discrepancy in my, my fights with people about Mrs. Lovett. Totally. Totally. Um, so then we get after the Bill Irwin thing, we get Loveland from Follies. Which, again, is just such, like, a strange but also really satisfying choice for the beginning of the show. Yes. I mean, it's funny because I can, I, I now, to me, that song is, like, Loveland from Follies. But when I was a kid watching it and I really didn't know Follies, I mean, I, maybe I had, no, I think when I first saw this in 1993, I didn't even know Follies at all. Like, I might have known Broadway Baby because, like, Patty sang it on Life Goes On, you know, but I really mm-hmm. didn't know it. This show, this concert actually was my gateway to Sondheim. Like, really, all I knew oh. was Into the Woods. Yeah. And I think I had just started getting into Sunday in the Park with George. Oh, interesting. But, but, but I really, because they were on video, you know. And, yes, yes. Uh, and, and Bernadette was somebody that I cared about because I'd seen her in a million movies and especially Annie. Annie like, yeah. I felt like that was like a real, you know, I felt, and, and Into the Woods, of course, was so accessible to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And they, but anyway, they had those great original cast videos. But but I really didn't know Follies, and so it's like I think I might have even thought that Loveland was a wedding song that was connected to getting married today. You know, I don't know what I thought. Maybe yeah, yeah. on my taken on its own terms on at face value for me at sixteen, that just made perfect sense. Mm, yeah, that that scans. Um, so then, but more importantly, it provides a star entrance for Madeline Kahn. Madeline, yes, Madeline motherfucking Kahn coming in to sing Not Getting Married, which, I mean, is this like the definitive version of this song, the definitive performance? You know, it's so hard for me because I feel like I know this song so fucking well, mm-hmm. and I've seen so many people do it that I feel like I'm desensitized to it. mm like, it's very, like, I feel like in order to experience this song, you know, it, comedy is so different than other kinds of, like, performance because, like, mm-hmm. I feel like comedy a little bit relies upon you being surprised. Totally. Element of surprise. And yeah. so it's, like, it's too hard for me to feel that way because I feel like I just always know the jokes that are coming. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, it's, like... You know, no matter how many times I see Bernadette sing Not A Day Goes By, I can still, like, get hard a little and, like, feel emotionally moved by her. (laughs) Yeah. But I just, like, I can't get surprised by this song. But I will say it's the first version that I ever knew. Yes, same. And no matter how many brilliant people I've seen do it, including Vianne Cox and um, Katie Finneran, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I feel Katie. like there's something about like when Madeline Kahn says, "I'm not well, but I'm not getting married." Like, yeah, <laughs> the the way she says that is there's something about that lyric that is so. I mean, it's so like the layers of Sondheim. Like, I feel like yeah. I'm going to get tired and faint trying to like unpack the brilliance of this, but it's like. <laughs> It's so in context of, like, smart, sophisticated, like, New Yorkers who are, like, all in therapy, you know? Yeah, And she says, and she really leans in on that. The way she says, I'm not well, it's like, you guys know we're all neurotic. We all have problems. You know, we're friends. I've been talking about my emotional problems with you guys since we first met in college when I was still seeing that analyst who lived on the east side. You know, it's like, it immediately, like, just, like cuts through so much to like just take you to something specific and meaningful. And I feel like it's just, you know, it's not that she's proud that she's not well, but it's like, but it's, but it is that it's a little bit of pride. It's almost like you're like, okay, Ben, I really need you to like come over and like, help me like clean my apartment because like they're coming to film the podcast next week. And like, we're in this together, you know? And I'm like, I have COVID. I can't help you clean. Like there's a little bit of like, I'm not well, so I'm not getting married. That's almost like, like, like using it, you know? Um, Yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I love so much about her, about her thing is that it's like, she's like, (laughs) it seems like she's white knuckling it, you know, but she's like maintaining her composure because it's her wedding day. She's like a control freak, like an upper West side, you know, neurotic New Yorker talking about floating in the Hudson with the garbage. And um, that's what I I love so much about her performance because it's very like, as, as uh, we've uh, talked about uh, watching it, 
her performance as Eunice Burns in What's Up Doc. It's like it's this, very that. It's so that. It's, it's also like, I'm like about um, to lose my mind, but like I'm holding on by a thread. I mean, Madeline Kahn, it's safe to say, is the worst belter in the history of ever. Yeah, no, barely like, belts. Like, she can't even belt when she's talking. Like, yeah, it's she very literally that. speaks in head voice, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. And it's like part of what makes her so funny in those movies. And like, it's so brilliant in this song because it's like, she's just like, you just always feel that she is just like in like this sort of like, she's just like, grasping at straws, trying to control chaos and losing the battle. Yeah, totally. And there's still that, um, it's, you know, it's from her mix, if you want to call it that, up to her, like, head head voice. There's, like, that break. And then when she continues to just, like, use the head voice, just, like, going full force with (laughs) with the upper register, it's so funny because it's, it's like... um, you know, it's like she's uh, regressing or like, uh, totally. you know, it's it's like she's in the shrink chair, like uh, channeling like her inner damage or something. Totally. <laughs> and it's and you hear that break so strong. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's funny. The first person I thought of and it's so fitting is, do you know who, um, uh, God, what's her name? Uh, Beth Howland is. Yes. Yes. Well, didn't she sing it on the on the original Yes, recording. she was the original. And she was, the reason she was like famous to me growing up is because she was Vera on Mel's Diner or Alice, as it was called. Alice, yeah. Um, and um, she, uh, similarly, she is someone whose speaking voice always sounds like it's about to crack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's never even like five seconds of her looking. It's the opposite of Patti Lapone, who has so much bravado and just mm-hmm. like always seems like she just like won three Oscars and is fucking your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if there's just like so, so much like, like or getting, getting and, fucked from behind by your dad. Yeah. As in I the mean, Hollywood. Patti's voice is just like, just like brand burnished with this like shining ego and Madeline Kahn and Beth Howland are just like the opposite. It just, their voice is just like the purest expression of just like, just like just ripped open insecurity and just zero (laughs) confidence. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like, it's like the vocal, um, representation of like that scene in what's up doc where Eunice puts on her wig askew and goes and like bangs on the hotel door. Yes. 1000%. And just like the way, I mean, I I remember in, in uh, music theater school, um, they, uh, one of my teachers would tell us to, you know, cause a lot of times we didn't know what to do with our hands as many performers don't know what to do with their hands. And he was like, go on YouTube and watch Madeline doing not getting married today because ev- every bit of performing she does is with her face. You know, it's literally yeah. her face and her voice. She's holding, you know, uh, presumably just like gripping that bouquet of flowers. That poor and bouquet. Then it- and then at the end, she, you know, kind of uh, puts her arm down to her side. But it's it's such a good lesson in, like, less is more and just, like, using the, the colors of your voice and kind of your own um, uh, personality or, or how you see the character in telling the story and not uh, worrying about the, the physicality. 
Totally. I mean, and also, well, the confidence of her that she can just stand there, you know, and yeah, just, totally. just be so, um, you know, just one of the highlights of the whole thing. And, you know, it, you know, very arguably the best version of this song ever. Yes. Um, and when we uh, saw it in London, when we saw Company in London, I remember the the guy, the very beautiful guy who played Jamie. That the, is so rude. Don't do that. The gay guy. Well, no, I'm just saying, like, he's his performance was very. Okay. Um, this guy won an applauded. Olivier Award. Yes, was the he's... toast of the season. Is one of the few performances besides Patti LuPone's that people were clamoring to be brought to Broadway. He's also a British television star, but Daniel calls him the guy who was very beautiful. Uh, he, the very gay guy. <laughs> That's how oh, Daniel describes him. <laughs> well, what's his what's his name? What's his name? Like Jonathan. Cake, uh, something cake. Uh, Jonathan but, Beefcake. <laughs> no, it's like, oh God. Wait, I can look it up. Anyway, but um, yeah, he's on that show, Broadchurch. Um, and he's but, on that show I love with Phoebe Waller, uh, what, what is it, Waller Snow? Um, <laughs> Phoebe Waller Bridge. Phoebe, Phoebe Snow is somebody else. <laughs> Phoebe Waller Bridge crashing is so good. He's so oh, good right. on that. Um, but I would say he did a totally different interpretation that worked. Um, but it was like a very physical, outwardly panicked, um, out of breath take on the song. Jonathan Bailey. Jonathan Bailey. And, um, so I don't know. It was just interesting to see both of those kind of opposing takes on it, both of which worked. Um, Anyway, so another something we can all agree on is the next performance. (laughs) Yes, we can. Liza Minnelli, Back in Business. What I wrote was because I my last note on Madeline was the almost controlled madness. So my yeah, first totally. note for Liza was speaking of madness. <laughs> yeah, totally. Again, peak Liza. Like I just saw a picture that someone like um, I don't know who posted it on Instagram, but it was a photo that Liza had done um, for like a magazine or something, and she's wearing the, the exact same dress that she wore in this number. Yeah. Um, just like peak Liza looking great legs. By the way, like, I mean, it's, you know, at the time it would have seemed absurd, but now looking back on this era with like the distance of decades, there's mm-hmm. almost something Madonna ish. It's like, you know, or at least share. It's like, you know, we're all these like Broadway slobs, you know, Patty and Bernadette, you know, just these tacky like theater actresses with their sequins and their fancy gowns and their baubles and you know Liza is in like a cotton dress you know with, yeah, like, it's from, like, with like some sort of like 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 slutty like hooker thing around her waist you know like she like she's almost like casual like oh darling it's just sometime at Carnegie Hall it's not the Oscars yeah it's like from like Charlotte Roos or somewhere in the mall <laughs> totally she's just like I just have to be comfortable when I'm dancing on top of a piano yeah, which that part was making me so nervous, even though I knew she, you know, had the skill to do it. Like, I was so nervous the whole time that she was going to fall off or, like, damage the piano. I was like, that was a, a, a strong choice. Okay, first of all, I just have to give a proper shout out because this arrangement is by Billy Stritch, who yes. also duets with her on it in yes, addition to yes. accompanying her. And it is the most magical arrangement of any song that's ever been arranged ever. Ever. Totally. Totally. I mean, when I like, like listen to like, uh, I'm breathless 
Madonna's like basically the movie soundtrack of Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about this song back in business. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that big of a fan of it when like Eartha Kitt or like Cleo Lane sing it either, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But this version is like my favorite song that ever was written. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, and Liza, I mean, we talked about this kind of in the, uh, the leading ladies concert, but she's so good at uh, telling the story. Yes. You know, she- oh my God. Yes. When she's like, yesterday things, it looked as if things were about to end. Yeah. yeah. And the way she does those little dinnits where she, she looks at Billy and she looks at the audience. Didn't <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a joke now because we would do that about Liza doing anything, you know, like do Liza singing Jesus Christ Superstar. She's like, I have to know, I have to know, my God, but you tell me, you know, like you always want to put it into that like inappropriately conversational tone that like yeah, interrupts yeah. the melodic flow of the line. Cause she's done it over the years as a crutch sometimes instead of singing and whatever, you know, right. but this is just such a beautiful, beautiful like iteration of it. Totally. I mean, I feel, I, watching it, I was like, I feel like we're all like little kids going to like the public library for like drag queen story time. And we're all yes. sitting around in, yes. in a semicircle. Yes. And Liza is just like, you know, bringing out the book that is her voice and dress and performance and hair and makeup. And this beautiful song by Stephen Shantime. <laughs> I mean, I used to make fun of her in this concert, like when I was in high school. Like one of my first impressions was Liza going, "Hey, oh, friend, what do you say?" Because it's so staccato, and there's just like so staccato. I mean, you certainly couldn't accuse her of over singing the melody. Right, right. And now it's like seems churlish to complain these years later because like we would give anything for Liza to be well, at this point we'd give anything for Liza just to do like, you know, a Zoom cast of just being like, Happy birthday, Chief. You know, yeah, totally. but, but you know, certainly we would give anything for her to sing at all. But but it, it's because I watch this now and to me she just sounds thrilling. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, it's like, it's like I said, peak Liza. And then in addition to the song, it's thrilling because we get to see her leading a fucking dance break. It's 12 dance breaks. I mean, not for nothing. Liza gets on top of the piano two different times within this song. (laughs) She gets back up. (laughs) Who does that? And she tap dances on the piano. And I mean, it's like, The fact that, like, you know, I guess some of this is sort of a Kay Thompson-style kind of thing with the call and response. And they're like, guess who's back? Look who's back. Back in business. Back Back in business. Back again. I mean, just, you know, all the different parts. And they're like, you know... Uh, you know, get back in business. And Liza going like, let the good times, let the good times roll. Like all that stuff. It just creates this like counterpoint, this three-way counterpoint between the chorus mm. girls and Liza and Billy. And it just, it get, enables the song to be so textured and just build and build and build. I mean, if anybody thought Scott Ellis was like so classy and fancy opening with an orchestral suite from Sweeney Todd, 
Right, where like right. the most <laughs> schmaltzy thing is having like three opera stars come out in tuxedos and be like, I feel you. Like, oh no, 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 no. He and Just Susan wait. Stroman are waiting in the wings giving you this. I mean, this is like crazy for you on crack. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, they got Liza in their back pocket, hon. Um so then, okay, after this wonderful number, then we get the tonics singing Good Thing Going, which I... Or as I, as I would have said in 1993, and I still say it today, ugh, the fucking tonics. <laughs> totally. I was not into this. I've never understood why this happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess it's such a, a product of the time or whatever, but like... Yeah. It's, I mean, it does and not I think it has up. something to do with AIDS, maybe? Um, AIDS? I will say that, I don't know, I'm just drawing the straws here. Like, um, <laughs> I, I will, you know, like, people were into, like, Manhattan Transfer and, like, acapella stuff in the 80s and 90s, and it was, like, how they bonded, you know. But mm. I don't know. But uh, I will say it was exciting to see Jason Robert Brown playing the piano for them. Oh, I didn't even notice. Fun fact. Fun fact. Um, also, it, as much as I just hate them and wish they were not on the video, it is a particularly pungent moment of 90s fashion. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love the fashion in this as well. I mean, that is three men and a lady mm-hmm. all wearing mm-hmm. blazers, not one of them wearing a button-down shirt underneath it. <laughs> right. It's like an know, experiment in different things you can pair with a blazer. You can yes, wear a blazer 100. with a dress. You can wear a blazer with a t-shirt. You can wear a blazer with a sweater. Oh my god, I, bl- I miss the blazer with dress uh, moment in time. That reminds me of just like being a kid going to church and like all the moms in the church just wearing like their little floral Easter dresses with a blazer on it. Um, yes. okay, so this song is the Easter of Sondheim and Celebration. <laughs> yeah, totally. Speaking of moms in church. Um, oh, by the way, one more bad thing about the tonics okay. is that they come out singing um, Good Thing Going, yes. which is such a great song and they really yeah. suck. And I, you know, I mean, I guess they don't suck. They're a very good close harmony jazz acapella. I guess they're not acapella because they've got Jason Mark Brown. But I mean, like, if you want somebody to do that, if that's the assignment, they certainly do it as well as or better than anyone else. But yes. not for nothing, it took me many years to realize that I actually loved the song Good Thing Going because this yeah. version permanently left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. And just when you think it's finally over, thank God, it then turns out to be, what, a mashup? I mean, you know, fucking God damn it, Madeline Kahn only gets to sing one song, but the tonics get a medley of good thing going into the title song from Company. Mm, mm. You know who sings my favorite good thing going? Who? Nancy Lamont. Yes, because it's a medley with Not A Day Goes By. So good. Yeah. Love, love, love. Um, Okay, so next up, Dottie Loudon. Doing Miss her, Loudon, if you're nasty. Miss Loudon, if you're nasty. Um, doing her legendary Losing My Mind. Um, does she slash actually... Slash, you could drive a person crazy. Slash, you could drive a person crazy. Now, that's a medley that I am here for. 
here and queer for is she actually does she actually play piano or is this like barbara in concert where she like sits down and just like tinkles out a few keys and then like goes on goes about her merry way like does Dottie actually play piano do you mean like separate from this like if i invited her over to my apartment could she just like bust out some rachmaninoff yeah yeah i mean like is she does she have a history of being like a pianist I do not know, but you're making me realize that I was so into her from this that in addition to getting the cast albums of Annie, well, I guess I already had Annie, but in addition to getting the ballroom cast album, I got her solo albums, um, Mm. on one of which she sings I Love a Piano, and definitely in my 16-year-old self, I was like, oh, because she plays piano. Oh, interesting. But I don't have any reason to tell you that that your answer to your question is yes. I'm just Mm. knowing that if you asked me in 1993, I would have been like, yes, that is correct. Well, seeing her there at the piano, it just seems so right. Because to me, she she just strikes me as like a lovely, um, lonely, well, lovely at first glance. And then a lonely old piano teacher who, you know, yes. is drinking well, a or glass like, of or scotch. Or like a saloon, enter- like she'd be the, like, yeah, like she's playing yeah. in a lounge somewhere. and Like, yeah, a madam in a saloon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just so, I mean, it's really a one-act play. I mean, it's like a short yeah. film. Like yeah. her journey at that piano, you know, dun, 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 you know, when she's like thus in her weird little trill the way she like mm. just like sort of like precariously perches on those notes. Yeah, and then the fact that she's wearing like this black prom dress almost. It's like yes, it makes it's, such a it's, it's like it's very lounge singer. But it's also like it's like Miss Havisham or like she's like this this reg- this scorned lover who's like still living in this um time yes. of like oh, parties and, so and dances, you know? And yes. it's like this um, it's like a, a specter of a younger self. I don't know. Um, so just the whole vision and the whole scene that she sets is just perfect. And it and the and this is another, I mean, arrangement that is so genius. And the orchestration, I mean, the way um the way that the orchestra swells in when she gets up from the piano, all afternoon. I mean, it's like, it's so uplifting. It's just, it's just so majestic. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, it starts out, it's like, it's so brilliant. I don't want to say it's a joke in a way that diminishes it, but there's, you know, it's a novelty. It's going to be a medley. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when that orchestra comes in, it might be the best version of Losing My Mind that ever happened. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think that necessarily is true, but one could certainly make a case. Yeah, 100%. And many people do. I mean, many, you know, so many people, this is like their Losing My Mind pre- preferred version. Because isn't um, You Could Drive a Person Crazy the subtext of all versions of Losing My Mind? Yes, totally, totally. Um, I mean, the moment this... that it really all is about for me is when she's like, 
And and her voice is so crazy because she has that yeah. weird little like trilling, like, like qu- precarious mezzo, you know. And yeah. then she has her belt that just sounds so frazzled and like out yeah. of steam. <laughs> and yet there's something still kind of like big and fabulous about it, despite all that, yeah. you know. But when she gets to that part when she's like, and I could understand a person, and the orchestra's like, bah, 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 bah. if it wasn't good in bed, do 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 do. I, I, I yeah. feel like I just want, I want my whole life to just begin and end in that 11 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I mean, she's so, it's like so frazzled and so on edge that it's like, I wrote down, it, it reminds me of like an Ellen Burstyn performance. Yes, but like yes. Ellen, Ellen Burstyn, like on drugs. You no, know? it's exact. It's actually a mixture of Ellen Burstyn and Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres? It's like a hilarious Ellen DeGeneres comedy routine <laughs> that like is completely fused with an Oscar-winning Ellen Burstyn tragic performance. Totally. I'll take it. Um, and mean, then, of course, there's the moment that we talked about. Um, oh, drag. Uh, yeah, the drag fag yes. moment. Yeah, because she sees her find laugh. that word. Yes, yeah. huge laugh. Yeah. And I mean, it's so great how it goes back and forth between the songs. It just builds and builds and builds. Um, uh, and what? Uh, uh, oh, and when she goes into that crazy repeat, um, uh, it's your your lovely person. Your deeply no, what is? It's not that. What's the part where she goes like crazy, 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 yeah, 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 person. And then the music changes and the light changes and she her face changes. Or am I just being kind? I mean, that's the one part. I mean, it's crazy and over the top as it is she's so committed and truthful that is the first time in the whole song that she's kind of steps outside the joke a little bit just enough say or am i just being kind you know yeah yeah and and the audience gives it to her because she's earned the right uh and then she's for the final or am i losing my mind and it's just you just feel that she's laid it all on the field, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, my note after this song was this concert has aged like a fine wine. Yeah. It just felt so fresh. That. Watching this, yeah. I felt like we didn't need to live the last 37 years of culture mm-hmm. because the 37 years have produced... Nothing. Not Lin Manuel Miranda. Not Chris Rock. Not Michelle Obama. Not you know nothing that. Not Broad City. There's nothing that has taken us one millimeter further than the high genius advancement we were at with Dorothy Loudon in 1992. <laughs> Dorothy was our Lin Manuel Miranda in '92. Yes, totally. <laughs> um. Also, I had to, this is how deeply moved I was. I said the fabulous sound mixing because the applause that Dorothy gets, it really is so intense on the video. They really make you feel, I mean, compare that to showstoppers where they do some like sort of, you know, perfunctory rote shots of the audience giving a standing ovation to Ethel Merman or whoever. 
Yeah. But the sound mixing on this video, you feel like the people behind you are screaming in your ear. And the lady next to you stands to her feet so fast, <laughs> there's a whoosh of her dress. Like, it's just, really like being there and supporting Dorothy and her genius. I love that it's officially now like canon in our podcast that we hate showstoppers. <laughs> so, so much. Like at every opportunity, well, it's not as bad as showstoppers. You know what that's like, showstoppers. <laughs> totally. Um. Anyway, so what's not like showstoppers, but which what is truly, truly magical and epic is the next song, which mm. you don't think it can get better after Ellen Burstyn, aka Dottie Loudon, but it does because the Harlem Boys Choir comes in singing "Our Time," and I which gives you a respite that you need after yes, Dorothy. Yes, you do. You and are I, not it, ready to laugh. And you are not Mm -hmm. ready to get gay and go crazy about some diva. Right. You need a moment and a bunch of boys in matching sweaters going, something is stirring, shifting wrong, don't (laughs) be gone. That is what you need. It's just a breather. It's just beautiful, tranquil, calming. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I definitely, uh, the tears began whenever I heard them singing that because it was just so moving. And then um, BLB, Betty Lynn Buck, coming in hot, singing Children Will Listen, and it is incredible. I mean, she, I love her outfit, first of all. She's wearing, yes. like, um, a belt. She Listen, honey, belts on belts for this performance because it is giving me life. And then it's like black. Is it a skirt or like palazzo? It's palazzo pants, right? I thought it was a skirt, but I didn't look too closely. If it's a skirt, it's a very um, long floor length fitted black skirt and a white silk blouse with the popped collar. Thank you very much. Belted. Yes. And a belted is the key word. And, Mm -hmm. and a short, like sort of, you know, kind of Sandy Duncan tomboy haircut. Very Peter Pan. Maybe that's why I thought she played Peter Pan. Um, And she comes out and it's so subtle at first. She's so like, like, you're almost like, why is she even there? You know, she's just like, mm. careful the things you say. Yeah. Children will, like, it's so small and like, but not small in like a, like, children will listen. She's not yeah. like, ooh, listen to my beautiful, pretty voice. I'm singing this so small. She's just telling the story. That's what she feels like. She feels like yeah. a teacher in a classroom reading you a story. Yes, It's yes. very, like, storytelling. Careful the things you say. And you yeah, suddenly Betty feel... Buckley story songs. It's almost like if she's playing Mrs. Anna in The King and I, and she's singing, mm. like, she's like, yeah. there's a true and ancient saying, but a true, but a true and honest thought. That if you become a teacher, by your pupils, you'll be taught. It's be very, taught, yeah. as a teacher, I've been learning. It's almost, it has that Julie Andrews sound of music kind of quality yeah, to it. Yeah, totally. It's very storytelling teacher. It's so perfect. And yes, you don't even know yes. how perfect it is. Because it starts so effortless and like, you just have no idea where it's going. Yes. And it does take the journey. And I mean... By the end of it, her epic belt is so good. And I just love how she, there's this moment where she like, 
she does that mic pull away. You know, the people do yes. when they're so loud oh, that they have so to pull thrilling. the mic away a bit. And I'm just like, yeah, She's like living. She pulls the mic and as the mic gets further away, her voice just gets louder and louder. Yes. And yes. so all you can think is like, it would have actually been too loud if she it would didn't have actually, pull the mic away. Yeah, we our eardrums would have been completely damaged. But it's like, have... but the, there's her voice is like a built-in reverb. Like mm. when she goes like, "Careful, I tell you tell." It's like, it's like there's her vibrato has vibrato. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Vibrato I mean, honestly, if I had to pick like one note in the history of all mm. singers ever singing every song, that one note that's my favorite note, it's Betty Buckley on the word careful in that final chorus. Careful. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know how she does it. I've never heard anybody do anything. The closest I've ever heard to anybody doing anything like that is Betty singing memory when she says, Mm. um, when she sings, touch me, it's so easy to leave me. Yeah. Yeah. But, Mm -hmm. but even that feels more obvious. This feels more special. Like, I mean, it's the re we've talked about this. It's the reason that I hate every version of children will listen. Yes. Yes. Same. Um, uh, and the one that I'm most angry at now that I'm saying it out loud is Ruthie Henschel. Whoa. Okay. We need to save this for our little, uh, uh, I'll be fatty segment of Tuesday, Thursday for August. Cause I feel like there's some work to be done. Okay. All right. So <laughs> this will be my next, I'll be fatty on this Tuesday's Tuesday, Thursday, April, yeah, August. We got to break it down with Ruthie Henschel. That's appointment television. That sure is. Um, okay, so Betty, the Harlem Boys Choir and Betty give us a nice respite from Dottie Loudon. And then I will say one, in... one more thing about it that's poetic justice is the fact mm-hmm. that Betty had done. I mean, I really want to do like a whole podcast. Like, I don't mean an episode of our podcast. I mean, I want to create a new podcast about <laughs> the development of Into the Woods. Oh, yeah, Um, that's a great idea. And I don't really know the truth, but I think what I've been able to glean is that not necessarily the first reading of Into the Woods, but a early reading of Into the Woods or a series of early readings of Into the Woods, Betty Buckley played the witch. Mm. And then either because they didn't want to keep working with her Mm-hmm. Or they offered it to her, but she wouldn't do it for the offer. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I think there's a third possibility and now it's escaping me. But for some reason, she did not go do it in La Jolla, where they yeah. did a workshop with a, or a full production, rather, prior to the Broadway production that featured much of what became the Broadway cast. Mm-hmm. But I believe I'm understanding correctly that then there was another reading in New York at Playwrights Horizons after La Jolla, in which Betty again played the witch. And then 
I don't know if they offered her the wish for Broadway and then couldn't come to terms or if that was when they didn't want to work with her again or she didn't want to do the part. I mean, I know there was some not seeing eye to eye between her and James Lapine. Mm -hmm. I can't really get the story straight, but, but anyway, regardless, it's safe to say that the witch is one of Bernadette Peters great roles on Broadway. Yes. Mm -hmm. And if you're a true Betty Buckley fan, you might regret that Betty didn't have that opportunity and having created the role in these readings. So there's something poetic justice about the fact that Betty sings for my money, the definitive and certainly for everybody's money, the most thrilling version of the witch's big song in this concert. Yes, absolutely. And it is the most thrilling version. I mean, usually I hate that song. Um, a song I do not hate is the one that comes next. And Speaking of most thrilling versions. Totally, totally. Patti Lapone singing Being Alive. Now, is it just me? Or does that audience go Dorothy Loudon ovation crazy totally, when Patti yeah. walks out on stage? Yeah, yeah. Now, in fairness to Betty, that is not the real order of the concert. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Betty walks off and the applause goes up. It's not like Patty gets more applause for entering than Betty did for singing. Yes. That, that's just the edit. In real yeah. life, that didn't happen. But whoever came before Patty in the real concert, their yeah. applause <laughs> was dying. And it, I, I don't know another example of a concert entrance when a star, when the audience goes so crazy for somebody coming out on stage. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I wrote thunderous applause. I mean, Patty had not been on a New York stage since Anything Goes. Mm, Which was four years earlier. Yeah, they were thirsty. They sure were. Um, So, yeah, she's showing tits. I mean, uh, there's so many wonderful moments. Now, there's something else. Before we get into all the magic and genius of Patty's performance of Being Alive... Mm-hmm. I want to point out a magic that I just discovered watching this video, which is that Patty must have a a sewing machine and b a time machine <laughs> because she stole her Norma Desmond gold brocade robe. She stole two of them, I guess, because mm-hmm. she wore one in her basement video where she sings yes. with one look. And yeah. the other one, she cut up and sewed into a matching jacket and pants to wear to sing Being Alive at Carnegie Hall the year yes. before Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, <laughs> time machine, yeah. <laughs> and Anthony Powell, who designed that fabulous Norma Desmond costume, must be so sad to see how she destroyed it and turned it into this Long Island bat mitzvah nightmare. (laughs) I mean, I did notice I was like gold. It's so interesting, especially because before this in the concert, it's, I thought it was like a black and white theme, you know, like everyone was told to wear black and white because maybe they they had, maybe it was. And then I saw this gold and I was like, maybe not. Or maybe someone just didn't read the memo. But I feel like I mean, later it's a gold brocade jacket mm-hmm. and gold brocade palazzo pants, which are words that should never appear together in that order. 
And as crazy as all that is by itself, you know that black stretchy spandex fabric Liza's dress was made out of? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You might have an opinion about Liza wearing that dress. Maybe you love it like I do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, it's Carnegie Hall. Come on, Liza. Don't wear spandex. What happened to your world-famous sequins? But that's your business. I liked it on mm-hmm. Liza. But I certainly don't think you take that black spandex cotton fabric and make a tank top to go with your gold brocade suit. Yeah, yeah, totally. But you know who did do that? Patricia Lupone. Patricia Lupone. Yeah, oh, I mean, and just in case you're thinking, God, that outfit sounds like a real doozy. I'm sure glad I'm listening to Ben and Daniel and not watching her wear that. That's not the whole battle. She also got a hair helmet worthy of my great grandma Gittle. <laughs> not that. I mean, it's literally like she went to an old-fashioned beauty parlor and sat underneath one of those blowout things for three hours smoking cigarettes. She went to Truvies. I mean, you kind of have to imagine that, like, Bernadette and Glenn were sitting next to her, and they were like, shh, don't tell Patty. My hairdryer's not on. Right. Don't tell her. Patty fell asleep reading a magazine and her hair yeah, I think they just, just sat on. there for three hours and let Patty talk. And they were right. like, and Bernadette was like, Patty, I've heard that the producers on Life Goes On are not always sensitive to your needs as an artist. They, then they just let her run. And they just <laughs> let her rip. And every once in a while, Glenn would go, that sucks. And Patty would just keep on lighting up another fag. Yeah, totally. You know, once in a while, once in a while, Bernadette would lean in with a lighter and let Patty keep talking and smoking at the same time. <laughs> Glenn was like, Bernadette, don't you feel bad? It's one thing to make her hair look bad, but I'm worried what we're doing to her voice with all these cigarettes. And Bernadette was like, don't worry about that. I've tried. It doesn't seem to affect her. <laughs> I like your Glenn. <laughs> I don't know how in my version of the story today, Glenn is the nice one, but whatever. My how things have turned. Um, Anyway, so... All that to say... All that to say, this She still kind of looks good if you just completely forgive what she's wearing and how her hair is. And this song, if anything, the performance makes you forgive any flaw. Anything. She could literally have a gas chamber and six million Jews on that stage. (laughs) Don't. And I'd be like, you do you, boo. (laughs) Why are you always going to take it there? You don't know what it's like, my people. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, The point is, (laughs) it's a performance that would earn forgiveness of any sin because it is is stratospheric. Stratospheric. I mean, the way she says, put me through Hal, it's very, like we say, me too as well. It's very uh, classic Patty Vowles. It might be the first, you know, it's like, it really makes sense that I think about it. You know, I feel like up until this moment, Patty's career starting at Juilliard when John Hausman gave her grief over her bad diction. Uh-huh. You know, all the other kids were early to class that day so they could practice going, 
unique New York. You need New York. You know you need unique New York. And Patty was like <laughs> in the hallway gossiping or like sucking Kevin Klein's dick or something, you know? Yeah, both. Starting that day, all through previews of Evita when the gossip mill was that she was going to be replaced by Elaine Page and how Prince was giving her notes on her diction and the bad reviews she got for her diction in Oliver and in uh, Les Miserables and of course yeah. famously in Anything Goes when Forbidden Broadway did you know um, Patti LuPone you know I mean her legendarily lazy diction. Legendarily lazy. All through lazy. this time, somehow, somebody must have said to her, Patty, you are singing Stephen Sondheim songs tonight opposite Bernadette Peters, okay? Dorothy Loudon was an acclaimed Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd on Broadway. The original casts of Assassin and Assassins and the New York City Opera Company of A Little Night Music. You are in Sondheimian Company conducted by Paul Gemignani. You need to stop sounding like Patti Lapone and start pronouncing the words. Mm-hmm. And I think this moment was the yeah. birth of Patti Lapone saying, oh yeah. You think I don't have enough diction? I'll give you diction like you never dreamed. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the V's, especially. The V's at the end of a phrase. Alive. I mean, she, she gives you every letter you paid for. Yeah, totally. Like... You know, Vanna White can just take the night off because Patty is giving you every They're letter in every table. word. Totally. And, and uh, plenty plenty of letters that you didn't think needed it. For example, support. So, support. Totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, was red, that her subtly letting us know that her name is pronounced Lupone? Right, totally. I mean, you get the support and the Do you appreciate. think she spells support with a capital P? Ooh, like S U capital P P. Yeah, totally. Super. Or is it S U P and the second P is capitalized? Maybe I, I don't know. Or maybe there's just one P. Maybe it's like S U <laughs> capital P O R T. Absolutely, that is correct. That's a good. That's a good drag name for you, Support. Um, I mean, she has the nerve in the middle of all this insane diction to cram in one really good acting beat on "Very My Days." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is just cheeky of her. Cheeky, totally. Because honestly, the level of belting she takes this to. Yeah. And I hope, you know, I wish that you were saying this instead of me. Or frankly, I wish that if not you, then I wish Stephen Sondheim were saying this instead of me because I really mm-hmm. wanted to be heard. But I believe in my soul that the level of belting Patty gives in this performance supersedes acting. Yeah. Like, you don't need to do any quote-unquote acting when you're belting this hard and this big because Mm. this belting is emotional. This belting Mm -hmm. is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to make me feel being alive much more than Rolla Sparza or Dean Jones or Bernadette yeah. Peters or Judy Kay ever dreamed. Obviously, my desire 
for being alive is stronger than all theirs put together. Measure the decibels. Those came from my lungs. What, in fact, is the stuff of life, if not breath? The amount of breath that Patty... Frankly, if you look at a human being like a plant taking in one kind of air and putting out another kind of air, Patty makes us all feel being alive when she belts this song so big. So really, there's no need for any cumbersome acting beats. And yet, she still finds a place to put in this weirdly subtle very not belty, strange little, like very specific Donna Murphy-esque acting beat of very my days, where she almost, you know, she plays the opposites. She Mm, plays the very my days with a sense of humor, with irony. Mm, It seems to mm. be sort of wry. It's so crazy that she shoehorns that in the middle of what is essentially just a race to the moon. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of breath, I mean, we have to mention the straight tone to vibrato on not alive, someone, you know, no breath, straight into the final uh, chorus. Um, Yes. Thrilling. It's so, so, um, when she comes back in, after that insane note. I mean, so the song starts, right? She's, you know, somebody crowd me with love. She's just sort of trying on her diction. It's like watching mm-hmm. somebody at a shoe store, you know? Yeah. And, you know, she's get going through that, you know, and when she gets to um, uh, make me confused, very my days, she brings it back again with this crazy acting choice, but alone. She's starting to really belt it now, right? Mm-hmm. Is alone. And you hear it the way she, is that a dip song? The way the, the way she does, is it a slide? What is it on the second loan? But alone is alone. That yeah, loan. Like a, like you know, I, I don't know yeah. what Sondheim complains about, but I surely have to believe he's not mad at that. No, I live for that shit. Because in that moment, she goes from Sondheim, 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 Sondheim. She's like, Sondheim, Sondheim. And all of a sudden, Mm. we're in Carnegie Hall. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think she does the beginning of the song with her eyes closed. But now her eyes are open, her mouth is open, her tits are open, her vagina's open. I feel like she (laughs) might be spreading her fingers and toes. It's amazing she can hold the microphone. She must have Velcro in her hand, you know, because it opens up on that alone is alone, not alive. And the way her voice goes into that, it's not just a straight tone on that alive. It's You know, people sometimes talk about shouting when they talk about belting and they mean it maybe in a negative way because you think of a shout as being not necessarily flat, but flat of tone, not being rich, not Not being warm. Yeah. And this is not those things. This is so rich and so warm. And it almost makes you feel like all the other belting you've ever heard wasn't really belting. Yeah, yeah. You've totally. never really heard belting until Patty gets to that word alive. And so then when it goes from that straight tone 
into that vibrato, which all by itself is just such an impressive feat, you know? And especially mm-hmm. because you have Paul Gemignani giving this thrilling orchestration behind her. So the passage of time is marked. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you feel very aware of the vocal pyrotechnics that she's delivering, you know? Totally. So then to go from there and not breathe and then go into somebody crowd me with love and it goes into a guttural place in her voice. It's mm, another yeah. reason that all that breath and belting feels tantamount with acting. It feels mm-hmm. like there's no reason to question the acting because her belting and her acting are one and the same. Because yeah, when she yeah. goes into that somebody, it makes you realize what a journey she's taking you on emotionally. From the yeah. beginning when she was like, somebody hold me too close in her weird little like mixy voice of her like weird little like patty diction where it was so tentative. This is like somebody crowd me with love. And there's mm-hmm. something, you know, do you understand the word geschrei? Mm, no, but I, I think I it's a that. Yiddish word or a German word, you know, but it's like, it's like you feel, it's a little bit Ellen Burstyn in like the scary scenes in, um, uh, Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a little bit Anne Margaret and Tommy. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Oh, Daniel, you need to see the movie Tommy. Oh my God, Anne Margaret in that movie is like Patty Lapone seeing being alive slash Vivian Lee in um, Streetcar Named Desire. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> like, I'm here combined. for that. She has this amazing sequence. Do you, uh, should I smash the mirror? Basically, Alice Ripley is the epitome of Gestry. I love it. It's so funny you say Alice because I was thinking about I want Alice to sing that um, that Dorothy Loudon arrangement. Of yes, my so too do I as well, and I feel like we can make that happen. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's really irresponsible for us to be even recording this podcast at all. For all we know, she's on Facebook Live doing it right now. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> but anyway, um, so uh, I feel like when she goes into that moment without breath, if somebody crowd me with love, we're now in a new normal. It's like, yeah. it's like that it's feeling like- when you've like taken drugs and you're like, Am I feeling it? Are you guys feeling it? I don't know. Wait, touch your face. Okay, wait, let's try this. Like, just drink some orange juice. Do you, do you get any visuals, you know? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, the shit has hit me full tilt boogie. We are on the ride, my yes. friends. That's exactly how I comes felt. comes in there, that is the feeling. You almost it's, want her to, like, make crazy eyes or something to acknowledge the fact. Right, that, like, right. Like, I've seen her do that sometimes with crazy eyes in Meadowlark and in As If We Never Said Goodbye. This mm-hmm. moment is that minus the crazy eyes, but it's that level of just intense, like, heightened t- intensity. Yeah, I mean, it feels like you're on a roller coaster, like, you know, you're on Space Mountain and you're going up that first hill and it's like chugga, 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 chugga. And then that moment um, into that big belt is like you're going down that first hill and then the rest of the ride is just, you're just carried on the momentum of that All first thrills. drop. All thrills, totally. Yeah. So true. Like, after you've gone on that huge first drop, there might be other times you have to go up again so that you can drop again. But you're no longer in that like chugga chugga slowly yeah. building you're just speed. Carried you on are the now momentum. just going faster and faster and fucking yes. faster. Yes. And uh, somebody crowd me with love. Somebody forced me to care. Somebody make me come through. I'll always be there as frightened as you. And it's funny about Patty too because 
not everybody might agree with me that the belting and the acting are one and the same, or indeed, as I've posited, that perhaps the belting is so deeply felt that it's even good enough as a substitute for acting at some points. But by this point in the song, you feel like Patty has her sea legs. Mm -hmm. So, like, weirdly, (laughs) Patty is like somebody that, like, doesn't know how to drive a bicycle, but she can drive a race car. Mm -hmm. So it almost, like, it's like now that she's at the most full throttle parts, now she's almost also weirdly more in control than ever. Yes. Yeah, totally. It's, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. I'm trying to think of this, an analogy, but I may, that makes sense. Uh, make me come through. I'll always be there as frightened as you to help us survive. You know, those lyrics are not big belty lyrics. I mean, she's just kind of spitting them out. It's kind of staccato, you know, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. she is so singular of purpose and every part of her acting and singing is working together so seamlessly here. You forget mm-hmm. there was ever a person saying support you know <laughs> yeah um, I, absolutely you know and make uh uh make uh make me aware and then when she gets you the being alive being alive being alive and we all know where this is going in terms of yeah. that e flat mm-hmm. you know i'm sure somebody's going to come for me again if, you know but maybe i believe it's an e flat maybe i'm wrong but you know we all know she's headed there and if there's one thing that we have confidence in at this moment, it's that it's going to be good. And mm-hmm. sure enough, it is. Patty has belted quite a number of E-flats over the course of her career. And this one ranks among the best of them, right? Yeah, absolutely. But what's so shocking, even though we've heard her do this already, is that when she did that crazy straight tone to vibrato on the but alone is alone, not alive... Mm-hmm. You don't think at that moment she's got another one of those. <laughs> Honestly, and I'm such a greedy little pig bottom when it comes to Patty, you know. <laughs> Even I am not like, more, more. I'm just like, oh, yeah, daddy, keep doing what you're doing, you know. Yeah, yeah I, you're in it. I was never like, I hope that happens again. I, I just, I was in the moment. I experienced the blessing on its own terms. Yeah, you're just grateful. And yet, when Patty gives you that belted E-flat, bing, she now goes into a straight tone to vibrato on that last alive that makes you forget the first one ever happened. Mm, yes. It's even bigger. Yeah, yeah. And she does that lie, which is, which is the nice touch. She and Paul Gemignani are so perfectly in sync because the orchestra swells and it does not crash until the vibrato. Mm, that, that, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, it's that's... what every girl that has ever sung Don't Rain On My Parade wishes for at the end of that song. You know, mm, you yeah. want to feel like your lungs can outlast the orchestra. Uh-huh. And it's so rare that that happens perfectly, you know? Mm-hmm. And part of the problem with Barbara is that it's always perfect and you get yeah, the sense that it's so controlled and planned. It doesn't quite mm-hmm. have that reckless abandon, that thrill. Yeah, thrill, yeah. But Patty's 
brand is reckless abandon and through. <laughs> is it ever? Yes. <laughs> and she just never more than in this moment, she just jizzes all over the thousands of people in that audience and the millions of people watching at home. And as Patty's come, just sprays all over your face. <laughs> you just feel not the Holocaust, but another moment in my people's history when the Uh-oh. Hebrews were starving in the desert and the Lord Jehovah sent them manna from heaven. Yes. yes. And we don't know what manna was. Was it some kind of a bird? <laughs> was, was it, it some kind of a carbohydrate? Was it? We don't know. Nobody knows. It's a Bible story. It may not be real. Maybe it's just, um, what's the word? You know, uh, a fable. But whatever Patty sprays on us, we throw our heads back in gratitude so that we may be nourished and fed (laughs) and more than satisfied. With this manna from heaven. Yes. Um, Yeah. And by the way, her face, after her face recovers from all the The things that it had to do to produce those notes the expression on her face when she gets that ovation is so adorable. She's so clearly like, I did good. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. God, I love it. It, I mean, I'm assuming many people, most people who are listening to this have seen it, but if not, like, even if you're not going to watch the whole thing, that is like the, the bit to watch. And, and I still listen to it, you know, like on my playlist, I have Patty being alive. That's the version of, being alive that I go to. Um, um, I think my um, uh, all beef patty for Thursday just became mm-hmm. clear to me. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I, I should I should I say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little it's, teaser. It's all Patty's other versions of being alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because don't think don't think we're just give you know uh, bowing down to Patty just freely and without thought because there are many other versions that aren't up to this uh, standard. Yes. And Um, there's nothing, there's nothing I love to do uh, along with complimenting someone as insulting them. (laughs) Right. Right. Which is why we have the new all beef patty segment, which allows this in a, in a uh, controlled and constructive environment. Where Daniel really helps me work through some of my issues like Judy Kay. (laughs) <laughs> Judy Kay and Emma Thompson as Mrs. Lovett. Yes. Um, okay, so we ha- I just realized it's. I, we have to move this along because I have something else at six. Um, <laughs> oh, it's getting late. So next <laughs> I up, thought that was a joke, <laughs> but it's actually so late that that's Yeah, soon. I mean, time flies when you're, you know, talking about Patty's belt notes. Yeah. Uh, sooner or later from Dick Tracy is next, uh, Bill Irwin, which I found it very funny, his little baton tapping bit when he just taps it all over the the little uh conductor's block or whatever you call that because i yes. remember as a kid like that was something like in those old looney tunes cartoons like bugs bunny would get up to conduct and he would like tap his baton and i always thought that was so funny yeah um then we have karen ziemba uh in a red dress so obviously the black and white motif that i was sensing is not a thing um doing a very seductive, very tightly, tightly choreographed number, I mean, which it's, I it's, didn't even write down what number it is. But It's sooner or later. 
Um, she's oh, right. It's, it's the bit with uh, Bill Irwin. Yes, it's just it a is. beautiful moment of Karen Ziemba and um, Susan Stroman choreography. And it's so, it's just beautifully done. She's so charming. I wrote down, is she the Meg Ryan of musical theater? Oh, that's really, that's really good. Yeah, that's, that scans to me because she has that like girl next door, like uh, bubbly quality to her for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I love this. It was, like I said, very tightly choreographed, but like in a, uh, I don't, I don't know how to, not like a, it wasn't like a dance dance, but just like them rolling around on the piano bench and like, it was just very well constructed and, and yeah. tight and rehearsed. Yes. Um, then we have Victor Garber and Patrick Cassidy singing the bout of booth. This is restaurant quality. Original never cast this members song. still at their peak, giving yeah. you everything you could dream of from this song. And they're, you know, it's the final word on it. I mean, there've been great performances of it in other productions, but nothing will ever be better than these two doing it so wonderfully. Totally. And you really, it really reminds you how much of a star Victor Garber is, you know, for all of his uh, kind of character movie roles he has now, like he was such a, um, a force on the Broadway. Yeah. Um, then uh, Daisy Egan singing Broadway Baby. Adorable. Which I love. Adorable. I mean, Iconic. I, I, yeah, so good. And those red tights, it is so 90s. I think my sister, I just have, I can picture all these family photographs of my sister wearing those same red tights um, as a kid. The, the thing that was so genius about Daisy in this and in The Secret Garden, I mean, it's why she won the Tony, mm-hmm. is that she was so, um, she could get the jokes and she could sing the notes and she could deliver the show business of it all. Yeah. But there was something so real about her, you know, she yeah. can really act and, yes. um, yeah. and it, you know, it was so rare as a kid actor that she was just so real and relatable and brought so much humanity to these performances, you know? Totally. Yes. Humanity. Um, so that was, that's thrilling. And then, I'm assuming, I don't know, like, if this was, if there was originally a song um, between this that they cut out, but Daisy gets huge applause, and then that applause just rolls right on over into Bernadette, which... Speaking of uh, singing the notes. Mm. That's why I'm wondering, like, if there was another song between this, because... This order is all made, none of this is the real order. Because I did notice, I was like, it was, like, so... um, alarming because all of a sudden Bernadette was just kind of like in the middle of the stage. And I was like, Oh my God, it's so Bernadette to just like materialize without you know, yeah. knowing it. But well, that's what's that sort fine. of magical and beautiful about it. Isn't it? Yeah, totally. Um, so this, so Bernadette sings her, one of her signature songs, which I think is my number one favorite Sondheim song. Not a day goes by. I, I, I could get behind that argument. And, and this is, you know, this is the moment it became her signature song. Mm, really? I love that. I mean, yeah, I mean, unlike Patty who has sung being alive a zillion times since then and very rarely gotten that same magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernadette has sung that a day goes by a million times since then and always been pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, totally. Um, 
but but never never more beautiful and maybe it's because she's not wearing a Bob Mackie dress. It just feels so. It's just and she's just so young and voluptuous. Yeah. I mean, her hair mm. is kind of like. It's her signature hair, but it does not have any of her signature like styling. It almost just like kind of seems like it's yeah. just it's just there, and like it's very. The, I mean, it, it's like it seems like her hair has been like you know it's been scaled up even more because it's there's so much of it, and it's like the most uh, wild. Yeah, and it's very like the Colascola Bernadette wig. You know, yes. it's like truly and, wild. And just and that dress that she's just sort of spilling out of, but it's just a plain black silk dress. There's almost nothing mm. to it. There's not a lot of like jewelry. She doesn't seem to be wearing a lot of makeup. You just feel like she's like this like beautiful girl, you know? I mean, yeah. this woman. Yeah. She's this gorgeous woman, and and that comes in the song, and it's just it's so exquisite. I mean, the mm. way that she floats in and out of her upper register. Um, and then into those just big thunderous belt notes. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it, she takes you on that journey, and the nuance of it—it's like it's like watching a film, you know. It's like it's like um, all the small choices she makes yes. are just like I'm tuned into everything. Totally. Um, so this is a highlight for me as well, and um, yeah, I mean, this, I just wrote down as much as yes. she was the star of Sunday in the Park. And into the woods, and she'd been singing Broadway Baby since the seventies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in a way, this is really when people were sort of like, "Oh, what we need is Bernadette singing all the Sondheim catalog all the time." Mm. Yes, yes, the Sondheim uh, interpreter. Yeah. Um. Okay, so next up is another one you don't hear that often: Greenfinch and Linnet Bird by Harolyn Blackwell. That's right. And again, it was just so wonderful hearing this song because it's it's so rare uh, hearing it out of the context of the show. And True that. That I, all I wrote was that final note. Just she floats. Oh my god! It the and whistle it's, tone. It's oh my gorgeous. god! It's amazing. I mean, she's so impressive. Like I was thinking about her, like because she started off on Broadway. Like she was. Mm. Um, what's her name? Rosalia in the Debbie Allen West Side Story in 1980. Mm, okay. And she was also Kunaganda in Hal Prince's Broadway revival of Candide in um, 2000 mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. 2003 or whatever that was. Um, or was it the 90s? Whatever. The, you know, his not his revival from the 70s, but his, his later Broadway revival of it. Um, but she also is a big opera star. I think, she, I believe she famously, some of the Met, broadcast when Kathleen Battle would have problems either what I don't even know the opera gossip but whatever went wrong where Kathleen Battle would not be in a net broadcast at the last minute um Harolyn Blackwell was who would do it mm. um so and I was just watching this performance thinking she can really act I mean she's yeah. good she's she's she you know, she's not an opera singer slumming in musicals. She's really a versatile performer. I, I haven't seen her do anything in a long time, and I really want to. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I love this this performance so much. Yeah. Um, and then after that is 
our is this our first song from night music of the night yeah um weekend in the country with a lot of people a lot of 90s hair a lot of props well this is the cast of scott ellis's uh scott ellis and susan stroman's new york city opera revival that had just played the two seasons prior to that Mm. um the only ones missing are um sally ann house as desiree regina resnick as um Madame Armfeld, and speaking of Into the Woods and Sun in the Park with George, Danielle Furland as Frederica. But that production is on uh, video uh, for the world to see. It's very good. And, well, I don't know if he did it, and there were just a few different times it came up in the repertoire, repertoire, but Mm -hmm. um, in the video of that production, Michael McGuire, who won the Tony for playing Andros, that was in that Stars in the House thing. Yes. Yeah. He was Carl Magnus. But in this number, at least, it's Mark Jacoby, who I love, mm. obviously, also. Yeah. But, and I have... Go ahead. I will have to say, this song, I, I've i never loved it. And I've, mm. and I've really been trying to investigate why. And I... I can't really put my finger on it, but I just never really love this song. And I don't know if it's because it just seems like so uber clever. Like it's just mm. so clever. It's almost exhausting or because it's like, it never quite, I never quite get the release I need from it or <laughs> really? it's like all it's built. So, it's, it's so epic at the end. Like I said, the ep- at the end it is, but it's, it, it just spends so much time just like building and building and just like the same, like, you know, clever little witticisms, but then like the stake, uh, maybe what you, what you said earlier, I think resonated because you said the stakes aren't that high. I'm like, yeah, why are we getting like this act one finale about like a, like a, a weekend vacation? Like it just doesn't seem that like big to me. Like it's not that important. And then it spends this whole time building this song and all these people talking about it from all these different points of view. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I, I can ap- appreciate it you know, intellectually. And obviously it's like such, you know, such a wonderfully written song, but it just has never hit me right. You know, it's just never really set warmly in my little soul. Um, guys, can you hear me? Um, we're going to figure this out. Okay. Like we're going <laughs> to take a journey. I haven't, I, we're going to cook something up. We're going to take Daniel. We're going to hold his hand and I we're going to take him <sighs> deep into a little night music because I believe that the DD that I know, <laughs> this is his show. Well, but I, this and is I really very on brand for Daniel it. and we're going to get him there. I mean, like I listen to now later soon is like the perfect length for a shower song. So like I listen to now later soon all the time in the shower. I listen to Miller's son all the time. Um, Have you seen the show? In the clowns. Yeah, I went to, well, I've seen like regional productions of it. And I remember they did it at NYU when I was there. Um, hmm. But I went to the archives and I watched the Bernadette Elaine Stritch. Version. Oh, that was no good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, even the, um, and I listen to the um, recording all the time, but it's just... Um, I think this city opera what, video might win you over. First of all, you mm-hmm. have this guy, Kevin Anderson, as Henrik, not to be confused with um, the Kevin Anderson, the movie actor, who also starred opposite Patty in Sunset Boulevard. This mm-hmm. Kevin Anderson is an operatic tenor and is so hot. And when mm-hmm. you have this like beautiful twink that you can like fall for. It will help you. I think as a way in, 
<laughs> gateway, yeah. Um, and what, and you, I think, will share my obsession with the two female leads who are not seen here, which is movie star, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang star, Sally Ann Howes yes, as Desiree. Really scrumptious, yeah. And um, the fact that you have a reference point for that already, I think will serve it. And then Regina Resnick, who I know that people that saw Hermione Gingold in the original consider Regina Resnick to be like weak sauce, but <laughs> she's like if Lainey Kazan had a love child with an elephant <laughs> and okay. that and that half laney half elephant went to british finishing school i mean i am so in like honestly like no drag queen could approach what i mean it, it's a peaches christ performance that regina resnick gives and i'm sure that you will share my enthusiasm for it and yeah. finally best of all the great star of musical theater of the last 50 years who is undersung and there is not enough of anywhere. Maureen Moore as Countess Charlotte. Mm. She is like a mixture of Madeline Kahn and Bernadette Peters. Yeah. I mean, you're saying all the right words to get me I, into I this. Believe, and it might not fly with her weird 90s hairstyle in this strange 90s dress out of context here. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when you see her in a proper Countess Charlotte hat, saying lemonade, it would choke me, and singing <laughs> Everyday Little Death. I mean, she... I just want to give one shout-out to a choice she makes in this performance here, where the, the lyric is, um, uh, a weekend in the country... Uh, uh, she, where the lyric, a weekend in the country, peace and quiet, and her lyric is, how I wish we'd been asked. She puts a 90s spin on it and goes... Hell, I wish we'd been asked. <laughs> it's like sarcastic. It's so great. Anyway, yeah. we're, we're not done with Little Night Music. We're going to take Daniel there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have a follow-up. Speaking okay, of so Little we, Night Music. Yeah, we really we have five minutes. Um, speaking of Little Night Music, uh, Glenn Close, but no cigar, sending Send In the Clowns, which is a good song for her. Don't you think? Uh, vocally, yes. Yes. Give me your thoughts, because I think it's fine. You know, this is, um, I, I like her singing this song. I think it's a good choice for her. Me too. Um, it's not one I watch over and over again. It's not like, I'm, you know, one of my, like, big concert highlights, but it's it doesn't suck. Well, I for years I thought it was a great performance, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that, unlike Patty and Bernadette and Donna... You know, Glenn gives you next year, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I thought, obviously, she's That's doing a great job. <laughs> obviously, she's doing a great job acting it, you know. But watching yeah. Judy Dench. That's who frankly, I, that's my bitch. And frankly, Donna Murphy. Yeah. Glenn doesn't act it as well as they do. Glenn seems like she yeah. learned it that day. That's what it seems like to me. It seems a little too, like, on the nose. Um, yeah, it doesn't have the nuance and the texture of Judy Dench or, once again, Donna Murphy, you know? Um, yeah, or Elaine Stritch in that Carlisle recording. Sure. Well, you know, but, I mean, Elaine is, like, Elaine, you I know? mean, like, even though we're only hearing it. But, um... um 
Also, uh, yeah. one that I just want to point our our uh, viewers, our listeners to, is there's a video of Diane Carroll singing it. Ooh, love her. It's really glorious. I, I need mean, to see that. I'm in a real Diane Carroll place. It's well acted. It's certainly like as well acted as Glenn. Um, yeah. But it's, but it, but it's gorgeous. Yeah. I need to, I need to hear that. Um, and then finally, um, coming on for the finale, Liza May singing old friends. And then my favorite moment of the last century is whenever she says, ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Shondheim. (laughs) 100%. I do want to just give a shout out to Liza because I really appreciate that starting in like 1982, like Merrily was like barely like a, the corpse wasn't even cold yet of Merrily we roll along flopping on Broadway. Uh-huh. Liza has been singing old friends in her shows. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a hit show. It's not a hit song, but Liza has always, that has been her Sondheim song. Mm, I love and she that. does great with it. Yeah, that's a good point. That is her her Sondheim song. I, I actually that. wish she did the whole thing here instead of just this weird little short intro. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if anybody had any doubt who Sondheim loves best, mm-hmm. who gets to come out and go, order? Yes. Harmony. Yes. Harmony. Yeah, totally. I totally clocked that as well. I was like, all right, we see who the fave is, the teacher's yeah. pet. Yeah. Um, anyway. Also, as our friend Sean pointed out when I used the word mm-hmm. ostensibly in a group email, I did learn the word ostensibly hearing Sondheim use it here. When he says mm. his thank you and he comes to the stage and he says, this evening is ostensibly about my work. But what it's really about is a building that's a temple to art and artists. Talking about Carnegie Hall. And I want to know, what the fuck is he talking about? Why is it about the building? Um, Well, I think he's, I thought, I took it as like, this is about people coming together and having a shared experience, like a religious experience, like we're in church. You know, it's about us coming together But like, wouldn't that be true of every performance anywhere ever? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, um, why is that particular to this particular evening? Yeah, I guess that's interesting. I mean, it wasn't like like Carnegie Hall is about to go out of business and well, they did this no, like charity was like, concert. What was this like a benefit for the Carnegie Hall something something fund or something? Oh yeah, and that's what it sounds. We like. We have to ask Scott Ellis because otherwise, yeah. I'm like, what you talking about, Sondheim? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> also, uh, a little random, but I was like. um... I mean, he's very spectrum-y here, if that's uh, appropriate to say. Yeah. He's definitely giving you Sondheim at his most Asperger's-esque, like, with his weird, like, squinting one eye, like, while he's, like, in a tuxedo, like, surrounded by, like, Bernadette Peters, Liza Minnelli, and the American Theater Orchestra, and he's, like, still just seems like a weird kid, like, at an ADD medication session. But, But I also found him kind of hot. Um, I did notice, yeah, he looks very healthy and like, um, mm-hmm. uh, vivacious, yeah. is that the word? Like full of life, you know? I mean, oh, no for offense, sure. Well, I he's mean, pretty young. Nah. Well, I now mean, he's, he's like, he's so, like, he's so old now, but he's like barely 60 here. 
Um, yeah, but he looks so much younger now that we've seen him as 90, you know? True that. Um, well, isn't that what, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, the brilliant, uh, writer who wrote all those movies and she died too young and we love her so much. Oh my God. Nora Ephron? Yes. Isn't that what Nora Ephron said? Like, uh, when you see a picture of yourself two years from now, or was it 20 years from now, you're going to wish you looked the way you look now. So be grateful. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Also, um, I'm pretty sure Bernadette's dress for the finale is off the rack. Oh, really? I didn't even notice. And you I don't know. It's just the, the 90s. Who can say? The 90s. Who can say? I mean, everything. I mean, Liza's belt looks like it was purchased at like Claire's in the mall. You know? <laughs> totally. And in um, case anybody thought that Patty really made her dress out of her Norma Desmond costume, when she wears the exact same thing in black for the finale... <laughs> She proves that when Patty LuPone gets something wrong, she gets it wrong twice. She fully commits to the flaw. She leans in, um, baby. Oh, and I somehow man. was spreading around the idea that Marin Maisie was in the chorus, and I've looked it up, and she is not. Yeah, I remember you saying that, and I was my eyes were peeled the whole time, and I I was like, am I just not recognizing her? Like, what's happening? But I don't know why or how up. I got that idea, but it is not correct. Um, well, I have to run, but this I'm was, just going to stay here and talk uh, really about a little night music with the listeners. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. Talk you shit guys, on me for, please for... tune in next week when we will be yeah. covering, um, oh my God. Hey, Mr. Producer, fabulous, fabulous television variety concert salute to Cameron McIntosh featuring Judy Dench and Bernadette Peters and mm. Julia McKenzie and Ruthie Henschel and Leah Salonga and Ellen Green and everybody else in the world. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be covering it with our very special guest, the executive producer of many of those great Cameron Macintosh musicals, including Les Miserables and Miss Saigon, Richard J. Alexander. Yes. The, uh, the diva whisperer himself. Yes. Daniel will just have to try not to make the entire interview about Barbara Streisand because Richard directs her concerts too. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, we'll have to have a special like we'll Barbara another, segment. We have another episode about Barbara for sure. Right. Right. Cause I definitely have like my little list anyway. Um, my little list. Well, we, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying <laughs> safe and sane and Thank tune into our, Yes, this is this is like therapy for us as well. So Absolutely. make sure you tune in to Tuesdays or Thursday, April, August on Broadway World's Facebook page and the Broadway Podcast Network's YouTube channel um, yes. every Tuesday and Thursday at 1030 a.m. Uh, and available, you know, on the Internet thereafter. So, all right, darling, love you. And uh, I'll chat with you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. For more episodes, visit Broadway World, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts do be. (laughs) And be sure to check out our new twice-weekly live stream video chat, Tuesday, Thursday, April, August. Available on the Broadway World Facebook page and the Broadway Podcast Network YouTube channel, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10.30 a.m. This episode was edited by me, Daniel Nolan. Thanks to Emmy-winning composer and lyricist Lance Horn for the Broken Records theme song. Follow us both, Ben Rimmelauer and Daniel Nolan, on all y'all's socials. That's Ben Rimmelauer. B-E-N-R-I-M-A-L-O-W-E-R. 
And that's Nolan with an E, not Nolan with an A. Because Nolan with an A is an A. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 